I'm Gemma Schneider, and this is Where Are They Now? Where Are They Now? is a WHRB original series in which I take a deep dive into the insights and experiences of Harvard alumni who have made an impact. They are trailblazers who have touched the world in ways that they could never have planned for, expected, or imagined when they were students. And now, they are eager to tell their unique stories for the benefit of current students and our wider community of listeners out there. This series is made possible by One in a Billion Productions with Mabel Chan, our production partner and sponsor. One in a Billion is a nonprofit educational media company whose mission is to foster Asian voices and deepen cross-cultural understanding through podcasts and film productions, blogs, and network events. One in a Billion's founder, Mabel Chan, is also a Harvard alum, class of 93, from the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. She'll be joining us as a regular commentator and co-host on the podcast. In this episode, I am speaking with Divya Narendra, a celebrated entrepreneur and the son of immigrant doctors from India. Divya graduated from Harvard College in 2004 with a BA in applied math. He currently serves as the CEO and co-founder of SumZero, an online community where professional investors can share business insights and research. Divya's business acumen dates back to his college years. In 2002, while he was still an undergrad at Harvard, Divya thought of the idea to create what he then described as a social network to connect fellow Harvard students. He joined forces with his classmates Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss to start working on a platform known as Harvard Connection, also known as ConnectU. In their search for an engineer, they eventually found someone to help out. Some guy named Mark Zuckerberg? On February 4th, 2004, Zuckerberg launched his own website, then called thefacebook.com, which, like Harvard Connection, would require a harvard.edu email address to be able to register. Divya and the Winklevoss brothers would go on to sue Zuckerberg for, as they put it, stealing their idea. And the rest of the story, as depicted in the 2010 drama The Social Network, is a blend of history and legend. We will touch on this chapter of Divya's early career in our conversation today. How did he feel at the time? What lessons did he learn? And what would he do differently today? But we also unpack the layers of Divya's character and experiences, college and post-college, that can't be found on film or in the press. If you're curious about how Divya got interested in business in the first place, or how he's learned to develop business ideas that stick, you're about to find out. We'll also untangle the sophisticated workings of Divya's entrepreneurial mind as we discuss the birth and growth of his current company, SumZero. I loved getting to know the real Divya Narendra, not just the one born out of the creative liberties of director David Fincher. And I know that you will too. Finally, at the end of this episode, our contributing commentator and co-host Mabel Chan will share her thoughts about this interview, a commentary about this question. How do you find your competitive edge at Harvard? Hi, Divya. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Thanks, Jenna. uh, I'm looking forward to it. Something that I want to start off with, rewinding like uh, 20 years-ish, is when you first got to Harvard. Am I right with that timeline? 
Yeah, it's, it's, wow, it's been 20, 21 years. Um, I was there from uh, 2000 to 2004. So where was your mind at when you first got to Harvard in terms of what you were interested in, what you thought you wanted to do with your life, et cetera, et cetera? I was interested in the guitar. Uh, you know, I grew up playing classical guitar and, and got really into, um, you know, rock and roll and heavy metal um, as, as a middle schooler and high schooler. And when I came to college, I, I brought my, uh, a couple of my guitars and, and an amp with me. I used to just like play and hold the, um, <laughs> with my amp out the window. It was pretty funny. Career-wise, I was very, um, um, not confused, but, but certainly didn't have any kind of high conviction either in terms of what I wanted to do. My parents were um, immigrants from India, both physicians, and most of my uncles and aunts were, were physicians. And so, you know, medicine was kind of like on the table. I wasn't fixated on it. I, you know, I came with an open mind. I, I was an applied math concentrator and which by the way, is not the most like practical skill set. And then it was, it was really, you know, my junior year that I, I kind of stumbled on entrepreneurship. And I think, you know, entrepreneurship is one of these cool um, disciplines in that, you know, you don't need to be a genius to be a, a great entrepreneur. Like, you, you know, you, you don't need to be the, the um, like the best at finance or the best at dissecting um, legalese or anything like that. And, and in fact, I think what, um, I think what, 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 uh, you know, makes for some of the, the greatest entrepreneurs is just like kind of a healthy mix of like persistence with, um, with sort of like problem solving, but, but, uh, it's a little bit of a relief from the typical Harvard career track. Cause if you go into like, let's like, I take my brother, for example, my brother was definitely smarter than me. Like, you know, like um, you know, he was a he was a pure math major at Harvard. Well, I also uh, think there are different ways to be smart. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, but like he was like call it um, <laughs> a pure like technical hard skills. Yeah, like he was definitely better than me. I don't I don't want to say he was like running circles around me, but I just remember, you know, him telling me like how hard it was to. Uh, you know, to perform relative to the other math majors in college. And so when he was applying for medical school, like he had to compensate for a lower GPA than a lot of the other students applying to medical school. And it can be discouraging, right? Um, but but if you're going into that field, you're sort of asking for it because they're just, they're just a lot of people who are very driven and, you know, there's a limited number of sort of seats or spots, right? You know, I, I think what entrepreneurs try to do is like almost avoid all that entirely, right? Like they're like, how do we bring fresh intellectual horsepower and, and um, you know, a different way of thinking to uh, an industry or sub-industry that maybe is, um, uh, you know, maybe maybe yeah. has, has not been innovated upon before. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of the fun of it. It sort of makes something that's maybe from a distance, uh, like very risky, feel less risky because you're like, you're just taking a different approach. Yeah. So essentially what you're getting at is building something that's so different from what already exists that you don't really have that competition. 
yeah, that's that's something that's always on my mind because I, I well, I would say kind of that broadly competition is like on every entrepreneur's mind. Um, like if you run a business, um, you, you probably <clears throat> to some degree lose sleep over competition. I mean, that's just, that's kind of your job. You know, it's kind of like a sport in the sense that there, I mean, there are different ways to approach that. I mean, like for some people, it's just playing really good offense. Um, for some people, it's being very defensive, you know, but, but I think um, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, it has to be part of your, your thought process in terms of how you craft a particular product or service, um, a particular marketing kind of go-to-market plan. Um, and you have to be keenly aware of like what else is out there. Something that I'm curious about is I know that when you started Connect You, it was kind of driven by your own personal experiences at college. You kind of seeing in that environment what students might be interested in. So a similar kind of thing. What was the genesis of that idea? Sure. Uh, it was very simple. Um, you know, at the time there was, uh, there, there were a couple of websites that were growing in popularity. Uh, Friendster was one. MySpace was another um, you know, Craigslist was quite popular as well. Uh, and, and what, what, what hit me as I was, you know, using these, web- oh, and also there were a lot of dating websites that were getting very popular. So like there was a, one called americansingles.com. I've never couple- heard of that. Yeah. They, they, I mean, these were, um, I mean, I actually want, I can't remember if match was even around then, but I think they may have been, and they may have owned like American singles or one of these similar properties and, and so I just remember thinking like, wow, like here's kind of, um, uh, you know, a growing trend in the industry. But what I noticed was lacking in all of these websites was, was any sort of quality control through, you know, through membership, right? Like if, if you were on MySpace, um, it wasn't easy to find other people uh, to connect with, um, who shared your interests and, and there, and, you know, there was not really a great way to, to verify identity. And so it hit me, you know, again, I, this, was, this was like December of 2002 or something um, that in the university environment, everyone had a university email address. So that, that harvard.edu address um, was a very strong identifier and it, it just created a natural affinity between um you know, anybody who would in theory exist on some kind of um, online network where that was a a membership criteria. And so like the, the sort of light bulb was that, Hey, here's a very simple screening tool that we can use to create an online community where people have real overlap and, and sort of real affinities that, um, that can be verified. And it just got me excited. And I kind of knew then that, you know, this could be something I do as a job, you know, like carving out your own destiny as opposed to just taking a job somewhere else. Um, and so I started, you know, thinking through like, who should I get involved? And uh, th- there was a guy actually in my dorm, I was in Fort Simer house who, oh, me uh, too. <laughs> what's that? Oh, you're also in Soho? Yeah. I haven't lived there yet, but I'm going to be. You're going to your rising sophomore. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, so there was a guy in my, dorm who was a year ahead of me, but had, he had gotten an internship at Google and was going to be, you know, he was on track to working there full time. This was when Google was pre IPO. And so 
And we were just we were just friends, but but I knew he did some web programming at the time. PHP was a very popular programming language, so he uh, knew PHP and told him about the concept. He got super excited, um, and then I thought, oh, like I should probably get some people who are more knowledgeable on marketing and interested on in terms in terms of just like building the business. You know, not not technical co-founders, but but more kind of business co-founders and. Um, the Winklevoss twins were in my dorm as well. We were in the same blocking group and, you know, I reached out to them about it and they just like immediately were like, this is awesome. You're like, let's go do this. How did you actually, I feel like it's so hard to, you have an idea and that's one thing, like so many people get ideas. They pop into people's heads all the time, but actually having the initiative and drive to then go act on that idea and execute it and find the right people. So that's my first question. And then the other is when you we're looking for people on board, whatever, when you met Mark, what would you have done differently, if anything? A lot of people definitely do have ideas and don't act on them. But I, I think the reason is that they don't develop those ideas. You know, and, and I think you have to spend time, uh, again, like becoming an expert on the domain that you plan on serving, right? And um, now with social networking, uh, first of all, it was kind of like a brand new, um, you know, concept like online social networking. Like, well, what is that? You know, and, and so, you know, looking at what was out there, you know, I just did a search of like, what are all the different venues where, where like people are kind of doing this? And, um, you know, again, like, what are we bringing to the table that's different? Like, you just have to like really know that inside and out. So, you know, to, to, to your question, your second question, which is like, what are things I would do differently? Um, you know, one of the things that we didn't do as well as we probably could have with Mark was, um, you know, maybe like clarify the exact relationship that we had, um, you know, in terms of like what that partnership was going to look like over time, um, based upon contributions. Like what you'll, what you'll notice with a lot of venture cap businesses is that employees, um, are often compensated with, um, um, incentive stock options or ISOs, th those options are typically granted over a four-year term with a one-year cliff, and, and not to sound like technical or jargony, um, but, but these structures are in place to maintain the overall like fairness within the business. To what extent do you feel like in terms of bringing people on board, it's having those structures in place, but also just like knowing the person, trusting your gut, whatever, stuff like those. So like, what is the balance between the interpersonal elements and then also actually? Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning that that interpersonal chemistry is, is really, really important. I mean, you know, you want to have like the utmost confidence in your in your teammates, especially when the company is small, because everyone's wearing a lot of hats. They're, you know, they're they're expected to do a lot. And I would say it's even in our case with, um, you know, with, with connect you, like, I think one of the problems was that we didn't know Mark personally. Um, and, and so it was always like, he was a little poker face. Like it wasn't like we, you know, we had sort of different circles of friends and, you know, I think that, that ultimately, Kind of hampered our ability to to truly form like the right type of bond which he ultimately formed um at least for a temporary basis with his with his roommates who you know 
um, you know, some of his personal friends who uh, he ended up co-founding Facebook with. Yeah, no, it's interesting. There's a lot to unpack. One is that I think when this happened when you were in college and you kind of found out about it, who around you, so school administrators, your friends, what was the dialogue there like? And yeah, I'll start with that. Um, yeah, the school administrators were, um, yeah, I don't know if you saw the movie, but there was that scene with, uh, Larry Summers. Um, and, and in, 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 in real life, the three of us went there and the movie was, they just had the twins, um, in the office. But, um, I mean, I remember sitting there just kind of feeling like, like a deer in headlights, you know, like, I mean, I mean, I guess I shouldn't have expected much, but you know, his reaction was just a stone cold. Um, like this isn't my problem, you know, like have fun dealing with it. Right. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a very sobering, it was a sobering experience. And I think, you know, sort of a reflection of maybe the business community at large, like the reality is, you know, business is extremely competitive and it's, 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 you know, it's ruthless actually. When, when you look at, um, you, you take a look at like big tech today, right? Um, all of these companies are now stepping on each other's toes. So I think if you're going to go into that, you know, into the, into the field of business, like you kind of have to expect that, you know, that, that people are going to be nipping at your toes and like, there's no, um, yeah, there's not a lot of sympathy <laughs> out there. Now I would say in this, in the university environment, you know, these schools should create, um, um, let's just say a slightly less ruthless environment that does promote collaboration um, and isn't, uh, you know, completely cold and ruthless, but yeah. that was our first kind of brush with reality in a sense, you know, and I think it was, it was just a very sobering experience. Yeah. I think even now, and this is in things that don't always even relate to business or, or work, but I think there's so many kids have so many bouts with administration even now. So I think, yeah, well, you know, I think, I think, the younger you are, you tend to be more trusting. Like we were, I mean, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, as you get older, you do get a little bit, you know, you do get a little bit more skeptical um, and maybe in some cases jaded by, you know, like the, like just what's out there. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of like, it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's a, it's a really important one. It's like, you, you want a healthy dose of skepticism uh, you know, in, in life and certainly, certainly in business. Right. I would say when we were in college, like we were probably too far on that spectrum of, of maybe being like trusting. And then, you know, our world's just kind of turned upside down. We were, we were like, Oh, like <laughs> this is how it's going to be. So, um, you know, we, we kind of had to grow up pretty quickly in that regard. Did you guys try keeping connect you up for a while? After? Yeah. 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 We, we actually, um, you know, unfortunately we were probably four months behind, but at connects, connect use peak, we probably had well over a hundred thousand users, um, across different schools in, in Boston, but you know, it was obvious that it was not going to be a Facebook competitor because, uh, you know, the, Facebook had, Facebook had 8,000 people on, you know, their website 
um, this is back when it was called the facebook.com um, within the first like 10 days. So they had the, the entire Harvard campus was on that website immediately. Um, and within months, it was like, you know, we were talking, it was in the millions, right? So it, it just became uh, this snowball, which fit, you know, what I predicted, right? It was like, this is exactly what's going to happen. And that's what he ended up doing. Um, you know, again, that viral growth. I mean, people don't appreciate the power of exponential growth, but like when it happens, I mean, it's it's just, um, it, it's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean, one thing is that I feel like that idea too. I, I watched the movie so long ago, but isn't there a thing like getting there first or whatever? That's like- Well, yeah, they, they, they refer to that as first mover advantage. And first mover advantage is really, really important when you're talking about a business where there, there is a viral growth um, sort of marketing component and and also where you have two similar products, right? Like, um, you know, th- this was, you know, Connect You was the same concept, right? And, and in fact, like the Facebook profile pages and all like were very similar to kind of what were in our original um, you know, our original plans. And so, you know, it's not like we uh, were able to come up with like a radically new idea for a different con- concept four yeah. months later. Like our, our, our whole thing was like, let's just go ahead and launch it and see where it goes. But, but I think, you know, it was pretty clear early on that our only recourse was going to be um, uh, litigation. You had mentioned earlier that one of the inspirations for connect you is a dating thing. And I did see something like Mark Zuckerberg called in some investigative report thing that like he called that the dating app. Was there some dating feature on connect you? Dating to me is just a subset of connecting people. So what's, what's ironic is that that's exactly what Facebook is today. Like dating is a subset of Facebook. In fact, there's like a dating tab on the, uh, on their mobile app. And so to me, you know, that, that argument is more semantics. Like it's, you know, the, the, the point is like, these are tools that, um, that are, you know, when you look at Harvard connection or connect you versus Facebook, like they're both tools that, um, contained profile information of university affiliated students, um, where they're able to message each, each other based upon, you know, sort of profile information that, um, like was basically the same, you know, like very much overlapping information. So. Yeah. You're so another thing you mentioned briefly, kind of how networking is such, it allows for so much. And I know that your current, your current business. So some zero um, that that's also, it's a networking platform, but it has a specific niche and you focus on professional investors getting on there. I want to talk a little bit about that. I also want to talk about, how you thought of that idea. And my question also is whether going back into entrepreneurship, launching a business, if that was, that's a hard choice after you kind of had not the best experience. So what was that like? Uh, you know, it was just another fun roller coaster. Um, <laughs> um, so I spent a couple of years in finance after the whole Connect You thing went down. And I spent, um, I spent two years in M&A at Credit Suisse in New York. And I spent a year working at a hedge fund in Boston um, where I, I, I really got to learn about investing and, you know, some of the 
mechanics of, of investing and valuation considerations and things like that. Um, and so some zero was really just like a, a culmination of having both like social networking experience, but also having worked at a hedge fund. Um, and, and so, you know, I decided to build this community of, of professional investors and, you know, before some zero, nobody was aggregating the investment insights from professional money managers. You know, there were, there were, there were chat boards you could go to if you wanted to just hear what random people had to say about stocks, um, you know, kind of like Reddit, for example. Um, but if you wanted to hear what like the, the professional guys had to say, you know, there was really no, no place to do it. You had to know them personally and give them phone calls, right? And so I built out SunZero as this place for professional money managers to share research. And today we have over 20,000 members globally, and there's a huge repository of research on the platform. Yeah. And I, I, I before this interview, I was just looking, it, it was my first time like diving deep into what SunZero does, but I found it really interesting. And, and I'm so naive as to what goes on in the finance world. Um, my brothers know a lot because they're both in finance, but I, I definitely don't, I, I should learn more at some point, but I will say like what initially as someone who doesn't have much experience in it thought of made a connection to, which I know is so different. It's like, I thought about wall street bets on Reddit also, and I'm yeah. curious, given the level of sophistication and rigor that is inherent in some zero, what you think of groups like that. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's literally like the polar opposite in terms of philosophy, like wall street bets, um, it's, it's a subreddit, right? So like, I mean, anybody can, can join it, but there's no, there's just no quality control, you know? So that you have so many accounts that just spit out either they're rehashing stuff that like everyone already, it's like old news and like, doesn't, you know, like everyone knows it or, um, they're making cursor, like kind of, uh, conclusory claims without any backup. Like they're just stating opinions with no real justification. So if you care about the justification, you got to get on some zero. And, and one great um, example of this is that GameStop, which was the subject of, um, of course, yeah, you know, the Wall Street bets uh, um, mania, if you will, was written about on some zero multiple times. Most recently, um, wow. I want to say it was January of 2020, so pre-COVID. So this was like a year before it was in the news. Um, and the guy who wrote uh, the idea on some zero um, runs a small fund, I think something like a $25 million fund. He was long GameStop when it was trading for under $4 a share. And his thesis had nothing to do with, um, you know, a hedge fund short squeeze. It had nothing to do with gamma or the Greeks or anything. You know, it had everything to do with the fundamentals of the business and, you know, how GameStop was going to sort of transform uh, its, its retail model. Uh, GameStop right now is at $163 a share, right? Um, so, you know, you, you could have, you know, 40 to 50 X to your, your money. If you, you know, if you, you had sort of just read that thesis and bought into it. Yeah, no, it seems, it's really cool. And, um, when is the release coming out for the one that is more open and with a lower barrier to entry? Oh, it's out. So just, if you just go to sumzero.com, there's a, a join button. And as, if you, if you tell us, you know, you can, you can self-segregate it as an individual investor. If you tell us, you know, you're an individual investor, 
Um, there's there are free trials available for all of those three tiers: some zero light, some zero premium, and some zero elite. Cool, cool. This all sounds so exciting. And I, I guess one more thing is that: Do you have any advice for people, whether they're young, you know, just out of college, college students who are looking mm-hmm. not only, um, you know, to maybe embark upon a journey in entrepreneurship, but also more broadly, just the path moving forward, finding what they want to do, finding their niche and developing ideas that, that work and that are strong and that they can be happy with. Yeah. I mean, like just at a high level, I, I think it's really important to, um, to, you know, choose a career that you are passionate about. This is going to sound all almost, um, obvious, but <laughs> I do think it's, it's important never to lose sight of, um, you know, that, that, that long-term passion that you know, they really kind of care about. And if you don't have that, then it's like all about experimentation, right? It's like, if you're not sure what it is you really love to do, then you, you have to experiment and just, just try things that, that, you know, you think might, might work. So you said it sounds obvious or whatever. I think that people sometimes hear that like just a general one-liner about it, but they don't actually think deeply into it. And I feel like what you're laying out here is more of a nuanced view of it. And it also relates directly to what you were talking about earlier with your college experiences, where you entered not knowing exactly what you wanted to do, thinking maybe you would take something that was a very clear path and then finding entrepreneurship and finding what you are passionate about. So I think you're a perfect model of that. And I think that it, I think it's great advice. So yeah, like it's, 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 it's like, if you're really honest with yourself, um, I mean, that's the thing, like people have to kind of be like honest with themselves and like, just, you know, how much do they really care about what they're doing? And, you know, it's not easy. Like I would say, you should expect some degree of struggle. I was, I was actually watching an interview yesterday um, and the interviewer mentioned the statistic that there's something like 50% of the S&P 500 companies are run by immigrants. Um, and I just thought it was an interesting statistic, right? Because, you know, you, you, you kind of think through like, well, why would that be? And, you know, I think, for a lot of folks um, who are coming from, let's say, outside the country into the U.S., like, you know, they they have had to face adversity. They've had to overcome that adversity. They probably feel like outsiders, you know, um, to an extent. Um, and I think all of that is just like very motivating. I also think that there's a certain skill set that you need to have a certain level of grit and perseverance and when you've had life experiences that have already taught you those skills it probably relates to that too that when you come across a challenge you're going to be more likely to not shy away but instead just tackle it head on Uh, agreed preaching to the choir (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much to divya narendra for joining us today Now it's time for a few words from our contributing commentator and co-host, Mabel Chan of One in a Billion, our production partner and sponsor of Where Are They Now? Hi, Gemma. After listening to this interview, what strikes me most about Divya is how incredibly comfortable he is in his own skin. Unlike many Harvard undergraduates I know who are Asian Americans with immigrant parents who are physicians, 
Divya shows no obvious signs of stress or pressure at all from his family to be a doctor. He even confessed that as an applied math concentrator at Harvard, he had no high convictions for his career. He loved playing rock and roll on his heavy metal guitar with an amp out the window. How refreshing to hear! Personally, I never had pressure from my parents to join the family business in Hong Kong. That's mostly because I grew up in a traditional Chinese patriarchal culture and society at the time. So as a girl, I was pretty much spared from high expectations to perform in the male-dominated world. But many traditional Asian parents that I know have intense expectations that their Harvard sons and daughters should buy into the typical Harvard career tracks, that they should become investment bankers, doctors, lawyers, or engineers. To most, those are seen as stable and respectable professions. But Divya wanted a new and different approach to thinking about his life and career. He wanted to avoid the medical school track. And was glad that he did for a variety of reasons. One reason was that this track is crowded with fierce competition from many math majors, including students like his older brother at Harvard, whom Divya considers to be much smarter than himself. But I think Divya is just as smart to know that what's required—mostly high scores and numbers—to get into medical schools was not his competitive edge. What is his competitive edge? I think is his curiosity and demands as a consumer, and his problem-solving savvy as an entrepreneur in the making. While at Harvard, Divya had used many social networking platforms, as you may recall from the interview, but they lacked what he wanted—quality control. So he followed his nose to fix this problem by talking with a dorm roommate with computer programming skills. Soon after, he talked to enough college buddies who would all get excited about creating a social networking platform that would require a Harvard.edu email address to join. That was the signifier of quality connection and a trusted source that he was looking for, and many people agreed with him. Thus, an enterprise was born, and that was Harvard Connection, later renamed ConnectU. Today. His Sum Zero networking platform operates on the same idea of quality control as his product's differentiator. That's his competitive edge. So what if you're not cut out for the typical Harvard career tracks? As Divya candidly said, "Quote: I stumbled on entrepreneurship in my junior year. You don't need to be a genius to be the greatest entrepreneur. It takes a healthy mix of problem solving and persistence." End quote. And I think that's how life speaks to you. You can stumble on something. It gives you a lead or a clue. That's one dot. You share that dot with more trusted friends who get you and will get excited with you about your idea. Together, you form a team. Connecting the dots, as Steve Jobs famously said, is something you can do only by looking backward. So, looking back, can you connect the dots in your life and take important risks? Send me your thoughts. I love feedbacks. This has been Where Are They Now, produced by myself, Gemma Schneider at WHRB News in Cambridge, in collaboration with One in a Billion Productions with Mabel Chan. The music for our show was created by Dash Chin of WHRB News. You can also learn more about our podcast partner and sponsor, One in a Billion Productions, by checking out oneinabillionvoices.org.
or Mabel's podcast, One in a Billion, an interview show about Asian culture and society, one person at a time, on Apple iTunes, PRX, or SoundCloud. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Where Are They Now? Tune in for another episode of Where Are They Now? on WHRB 95.3 FM at the same time next week, same place. In the meantime, learn more about our podcast and catch up on old episodes by visiting our website, whrb.org. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or PRX. 